Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Dueling Wine Perspectives from Blind Pride International with Gabriel lopez Cafati <laughs> and Dr. Hobie Weidler. So, boys, are you ready to take it away? We are. Absolutely. Thank you for that very uh, exciting introduction. And we are <laughs> thrilled to be here. And uh, this is uh, Hobie Weidler here. And Gabriel lopez Cafati, And um, welcome to... Uh, basically almost the closing of our convention, the last day we survived. And what better way to celebrate uh, such a wonderful week than to do it with wine? <laughs> Absolutely. How's everybody so, enjoyed their convention? I think it's been a pretty good convention. Oh, yeah, it's been awesome. It's It's been packed full of events, but, you know, but it's, what, what it's been totally be worth any it. Any other way? No, exactly. <laughs> and for those of you out on ACB Media 7, Hobie and Gabriel will be taking a bunch of questions. So if you want to go back to the list and grab that Zoom link, if you have some wine questions, please feel free to join us here in the Zoom. All right, boys, what do and, you got for us? And Who's sipping, what sipping, are you drinking? Is, sipping is welcome. Yeah. Sipping is always welcome. Uh, not a must, but it's definitely, uh, you know, it, it, it enhances the experience. Uh, and Hobie, I did let uh, people know that uh, you and I had recommended our suggestion for, for you know, if they wanted to follow along, uh, was the Sauvignon Blanc on the white side and Chabernet Sauvignon on the red side. Um, hey, maybe, maybe before we jump in, we should just give a little background for folks of, of both of our work in the wine industry, because we've both done kind of different things, but I think they're very complementary, as I hope this session points out. Absolutely. Yep. So I, um, I, I came into the industry, you know, really in 2011 through the Francis Ford Coppola Winery um, when I uh, begun a program with them uh, called Tasting in the Dark, which is a truly blindfolded wine tasting experience where people basically sit down and enjoy and talk about and discuss all aspects of wines that we're tasting. And we also really, you know, break down barriers of what it means to be blind and show people that they don't need to have their eyesight to really enjoy life. And we don't use the blindfold as a way of, um, of, of trying to tell people, you know, okay, this is a game, you know, you're going to have to try to find little things under blindfold. No, the blindfold is anything but that, you know, it's really a way for us to engage and enjoy each other's company when we are just using it as a lens to understand the world a little bit differently by temporarily removing a sense that a lot of us use to obtain 85 to 90% of the information in the world around them, right? That's a lot of information for only one sense, which means we have four other perfectly good senses responsible for only 10 to 15% of the information we take in from our surroundings, which is striking. A lot of, uh, lot of information there for, for uh, one sense. And we like to sort of show people how they can experience life without, without their eyesight and have it be just as rich and as, as, uh, as awesome as, as any other experience. So um, that's how I got into the industry. And since then, I've, uh, I've really come up with a term that I call sensory literacy which is being able to understand and observe our, our surroundings through all of our senses, right? And I think that really applies to wines. I've, I've become a, 
a flavor does. expert. Yeah, flavor expert and, uh, and, and do a lot of uh, work in the wine industry and in plenty of other industries, actually, uh, with, with sniffing and sensing and tasting and, and pairing all that back to chemistry because I earned my PhD in chemistry in 2016. So it's all about like pairing everything together. And that's why I'm going to be talking about maybe the more technical side of the wines as we, as we taste them. And, and Gabe, you, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background if you're okay with it. Absolutely. So uh, I have a very diverse background um, and I just started off loving wine. Um, I love the whole experience of wine and the culture around it. And uh, I started taking, you know, freelance courses. Um, my, my dream goal is to sometime um, in the near future, um, get a uh, an official certification and 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 do something on a more professional level but um, I have done consulting I have done wine consulting I uh, worked for a couple of years with a small boutique winery from uh, Napa Valley California um, and uh, we you know we you know, I conducted wine tastings for them and did wine education for people who were interested in kind of getting to embark in this fascinating world that is wine. So after that, I continued um, trying and sampling wines from different regions of the world and uh, still attending courses, uh, independent courses. And uh, I just find that the best way to learn about wine is like I've always shared with people here in ACB and BPI is actually like any other trade or any other, um, um, you know, if you have a hobby or if you, if you're trying to become a professional or an expert is by practicing. <laughs> it just happens to be that practicing wine tasting is fun <laughs> uh hopefully if you are in the career that you enjoy it, it, it you know it, it is fun to practice uh what you do so in this case wine um i agree with hobie uh we also i also come from a school of blind tasting because i think it is uh very uh, it, it, it it yields to a lot of surprises and it takes a lot of the preconceptions of wine in the industry or in the uh, general population, whether blind or sighted. I think um, in order to get the full experience of wine, you need to use all your senses or all the senses that you have available. Thankfully, uh, I'm not going to say that sight is not part of the experience, but thankfully, sight is not merely as important as any of the other senses uh, in the experience of wine tasting and wine appreciation so i definitely come from from that same school and uh, we're gonna be talking about all those all those um the use of all those senses or the incorporation of all those senses in wine tasting so having said that i guess we both introduced ourselves and uh as you all know just to recap we're here for a uh, dual perspective um, Hobie's gonna uh, start us off with uh, his perspective on the winemaker side, and then I will be uh, 
interjecting with comments on the wine drinker side. And uh, if you have any notes or comments, please, please, please write them down. We're going to try to pause uh, every so-and-so to check on raised hands. Absolutely. And uh, if you are sipping, uh, go ahead and start because we definitely are. And like I said earlier, we are starting with Sauvignon Blanc. Hey, Dave, I just have one question for you. Which winery did you work with in Napa Valley? No, it was uh, it was a, a boutique winery. Oh, cool. So it, it's not, they didn't have a specific, it's called Wine Shop at Home. Yeah, yeah, I know Wine Shop. That's great. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, they have, uh, I mean, I, what I liked about them at some point is that Wine Shop, they have, um, they buy their grapes. They don't have mm -hmm. their own vineyards. So that gives them a lot of flexibility to very to be very creative. Their winemaker, I don't know who. Yeah, I don't know who their winemaker is right now, but uh, but um, but back then though they they had a very creative uh, winemaker, and uh, and uh, she was able to get grapes from even different parts of the world outside of California. So she was very creative and and coming up with very unique blends and very unique. Uh, wines so so that's you know i i like that flexibility absolutely no i do too that's awesome that you work with wine shop congratulations thanks all right when do we get to sit boys okay <laughs> right uh, now. enough enough uh, enough talking time to get down to business right yes <laughs> so gabe i'll tell you what i'm drinking um first of all do you prefer gabe or gabriel gabe gabe good yeah um that's what i thought and i just want to make sure so I want to tell you about my Sauvignon Blanc, and then I absolutely want to hear about yours. So mine is actually a much older vintage. I'm drinking a 2012 Sauvignon mm -hmm. Blanc, which I pulled out of my cellar today because I wanted it to be interesting. I didn't want to have something that was just run in the mill. This is from a winery uh, that, that used to be called Windsor Oaks. So the label of this is still Windsor Oaks, based mm -hmm. out of Windsor, California, which is in the... Uh, North Bay Area, so north of San Francisco, in the county where I live, which is the county of Sonoma. Um, it's, it's a town that's about 20 minutes north, eh, half an hour north of where I live right now, uh, which is a, a city called Petaluma. And Windsor is a, a prominent wine growing region. This winery actually changed their name to Notre Vue, Notre Vue, which in French means our view. And yeah. I still do some consulting with them, but I worked with them a lot in the 2014, 2015, vintage, 2013, 20, really 2012 through 2014 vintages. And uh, this is their, their first vintage of Sauvignon Blanc that I really worked worked on in terms of tasting and writing tasting notes for and all that. And I uh, just want to see how it's changed because wouldn't you agree, Dave, that, that when we lay wines down and kind of forget about them for a little while, it's, it's a bit remarkable what they become when we come back and taste them later. Absolutely. Definitely that contact with the cork is, is there's something to be said about that. And, and sitting um, in, in a cellar, you know, that's, that's yeah. at a good temperature. So my cellar, I'm kind of particular about it. I keep it between 54 and 58 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and, and I like my wines to stay at that temperature so that they age mm -hmm. a little bit more slowly. Some people yes. keep their cellars at 60 or 62 degrees Fahrenheit. The cooler you keep your cellar in general, not always, but in general, the cooler you keep the, your cellar, the slower the wines will age. And that's really what this is all about as we, um, as we go through this, this, this experience here. Um, Gabe, 
I yeah. love how you you speak about room temperature. Is that what um, sellers are for to keep the wine at room temperature of what was room temperature for, you know, those yes, early vineyards? True. Correct. Because uh, I always say, Hobie, I always tell uh, folks uh, that, uh, for example, here in Miami, room temperature, uh, sometimes they see me uh, chill uh, my red wine. Me too. And, and uh, yeah, and I tell them room temperature in uh, Miami, Florida in 2021 is definitely not what room temperature was in Bordeaux in <laughs> the 1500s. Mm-hmm. So not even today. So, uh, you know, room temperature is, is, is more of a, more of a, uh, a, a term used uh, very, uh, I would say, and not referring to the room temperature physically. Um, mm-hmm. where I we use are. terms like room temperature and cellar temperature. So I like my wines. Oh, yeah. Pretty I, much I like cellar temperature. And, and to answer your question, Anthony, the... Um, the um, the cellar not only provides the uh, the conditions, the, the temperature conditions, but also you want it to be a, a dark place. You want it to not be exposed to light. And the reason there, just from a chemical perspective, is because we can get a reaction happening, which is called photooxidation, which is where certain components in the wine can actually react with the light and take energy in from the light and change what they are and oxidize. So if you know about uh, Corona beer, for instance, when you drink a Corona beer, if anyone's a beer drinker, sometimes when you first open it, it smells a little bit like skunk. That's because (laughs) the bottles are not brown, they're green. So they're more translucent to light and that light comes in and it photo oxidizes hops. And when we photo oxidize hops, we get the sort of sort of skunky like aromas, uh, usually sulfur containing compounds actually in the beer. And the same thing is true for wine. There are other compounds that get photo oxidized in wine. And by the way, I'm also, Gabe, I don't know about you, but I'm also an olive oil nut. And I mean, oh, yes. <laughs> olive oil likes the same exact conditions as wine. Yeah. Cool and dark. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about a wine as it ages, um, you know, the, the wine is, uh, what, what's aging it is chemical reactions, literally oxidation of air coming in, oxygen coming in through the cork. Um, what else do we have? Gosh, all sorts of, you know, chemical reactions happening within the liquid, right? And the slower molecules are moving or the cooler the wine, the yeah. slower it's going to age. And I agree with you, Gabe, you know, my, my rule is, you know, typically if I'm in a house that's 75 degrees, I abide by the 2020 rule. Have you heard of that one? Well, I do 15, 15. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I 20- do 15, 15. So I guess, I guess we're talking about the same thing, except that you do 20, I do 15. <laughs> yes. And what we're talking about these little secret codes here is for whites, we take them out of the refrigerator, Gabe for 15 minutes, me 20 minutes. And for reds, we put them in the refrigerator. I put them in for 20, Gabe puts them in for 15. And that's how we arrive at, uh, at, at the right temperature wine. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I, it's funny that you mentioned the, uh, the molecule movement part of, uh, of, of wine, because I talked about that exactly a week ago. And I was, because I'm fascinated about how, how that, you know, just imagining how that happens. So, so for, you know, all of us, uh, wine drinkers out there, just imagine, uh, 
you know, how, how you generate heat, like how, how, you know, for those of you who have watched movies, like, I don't know, Castaway, where uh, Tom Hanks had to create fire from, from nothing. Uh, it's by rubbing. So you're moving the molecules to create heat. So the more, like Hobie said, the more the molecules are moving, the warmer, I mean, I'm sorry, the warmer the temperature is, that the more the molecules are moving. And, uh, and then uh, that's, that's something that I wanted to point out uh, because I also like to, I, I've gotten at this, uh, a lot of questions, Hobie, I don't know if you have gotten these questions, but um, that's why I make the distinction in terms of the... Um, wow, you know, that's, it's interesting how heat is generated and how drinking things... Drinking dip, different types of wine. So that's why the wine, the, the white wine, like for example, right now we're sipping on Sauvignon Blanc. So I serve them in um, smaller glass and uh it it's it's not so white at the bottom as in the red because the white does not need so much uh oxygenation does not need so much room to air and also because the smaller the glass the less amount of wine that you're gonna put that you're gonna pour and you want that in a white because obviously if you pour more wine it just gives it more chance for it to warm up and change temperature rather quickly. I think the reason that we don't necessarily want that need that much oxidation in, in white wine is because, you know, it's, they're typically drank younger, um, you know, fresher, maybe I, I don't like the word fresher because I don't think of any age wine as, as not fresh, but um, yeah. you tend to drink, <laughs> drink white wines maybe a little bit earlier in their lifespan, so to speak. And uh, they have a lot of, a lot of aroma right up front without without needing a lot of air to to really open up so i like the way you drink out mine i'm i was lazy gabe i did uh, both of mine out of out of the uniform size stemless glasses but you're doing it the right way that's the way to do it uh well we, we're still on white so i don't know if by the time we anthony and i finish this bottle if i'm gonna have the uh, <laughs> the patience to go and get our red uh, red wine glasses <laughs> so we'll see you never know Gabe, what white, just out of curiosity, what white are you drinking? Okay, so I'm um, drinking a wine uh, that uh, was originally uh, from um, a vineyard that was originally from France, and they established a vineyard, I think it is, in Santa Barbara. It's called, um, you know, the French pronunciation would be Fitvin, Fitvin but, you know, it's F-I-T-V-I-N. So... Um, what I like about them is that they they bring the tradition of um, of the place where Sauvignon Blanc is most famous, which is the uh, lower value um, valley. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm trying. My French is getting mixed. Lower valley in um, since uh, specifically Sancerre in France. Um, and, and, and we're going to go more into details of why. Sauvignon Blancs from that region are very famous. Um, you know, once once Hobie um, gets us started with uh, with uh, chemical and technical aspects, and then I can I'll be happy to to uh, echo um, his 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 notes on on the flavor and um, on the taste and on the nose side of the wine. But anyway, long story short, I think Santa Barbara. Um, has has a very uh, similar condition for uh, for the Sauvignon Blanc grape as the Loire Valley in 
uh, as the Sincere Valley in the Loire region in France. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. I agree with you. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of really good Saint Blanc is coming out of, um, is coming out of the Santa Barbara area. Also, a lot is coming out of the northern California region called Lake County. That's just a little ways northeast of where I am in Sonoma County. And it uh, has really nice dry soils that lend themselves particularly mm-hmm. well to, um, to uh, white wines like Sauvignon Blanc. Um, this one here that I'm drinking, as said, is from, indeed, from, excuse me, issues with my chair, uh, from Sonoma County. And uh, when I smell this wine, I get a lot of fruit. And that is really what we tend to expect in in most Sauvignon Blancs. Is a, a big times when we make wine, we like to age it in oak, right? That's probably what a lot of us have heard in terms of, oh, yeah, what, what was the oak program used on that wine? And for me, with white wines like Sauvignon Blanc, I tend to prefer them. So we'll talk a little bit. I, I talked a lot about grape to glass um, on Tuesday, so I, I want to kind of stay away from, from that topic. But just a very small snapshot into how Sauvignon Blanc is generally made. The fruit is ripened on the vine, and then the clusters are harvested. And uh, the stems are removed and the berries. Grapes are also called berries. The berries are crushed. And then the uh, grapes go immediately into a press. So before any alcohol is produced by adding yeast, they are um, crushed, the, the, everything is pressed and the juice and pulp of the fruit is removed from the skins and the seeds. Now that mixture then goes into a stainless steel tank, usually stainless steel fermenter <laughs> and is um, yeast are added or pitched when yeast are added into wine, it's called pitching. So we pitch yeast into wine, and um, when, once we do that, we, uh, the, the sugars begin to convert into ethanol or alcohol, and that's, that tends to be a, a good way to make Sauvignon Blanc. Now, if this was a red wine, it would probably go into oak, or a Chardonnay, it would presumably go into oak at this point. Maybe it would even be fermented in the barrel. Yeah. Sauvignon Blanc, the flavor is is so strong on its own and not overpowering or strong in a in a negative sense. It's strong in the most positive sense of the word. It's very uh, fruit forward. There's a lot of green notes. Some people describe as as fresh cut grass. I kind of think of them as a little more like um, herbs, a little more like a beautiful herb garden. Uh, and then also, you know, some really nice floral notes, some honeysuckle and that sort of thing. And um because we want to really preserve, a lot of winemakers like to preserve those notes as best they can, um, Sauvignon Blanc doesn't tend to go into oak. If it goes into oak at all, it typically goes into what we call neutral oak. Neutral oak is oak that has had a lot of wine in it before, so it's no longer new, but rather it is neutral, and it, it, it doesn't really impart a whole lot of flavor. One of my good friends and uh, one of my most well-respected winemaker friends is a man by the name of Ed Zabragia, and Ed um, made wine for and st- many years for the Private Reserve Program of Behringer Family Winery. And, oh, very famous, yeah. Yeah, and now is, has his own label, which is um, which is Zabragia Family Vineyards. When he makes Sauvignon Blanc, he often likes to let the wine sit in oak barrels that are neutral for about Mm. 12 months or about a year. And the reason he does that 
is he likes how the oak allows the wine to oxidize a little bit more than the stainless steel tank with it. With it oh, wow. Goes, right? Because it, it allows that oxygen to seep through the, the slats in the side of the barrel and mm-hmm. infiltrate into the wine and really impart a uh, flavor that's different than maybe we, you know, than, than we would expect. But he manages to have such heroic barrels. They tend to have been used about five, between five or 10, 10 times before he uses them for Sauvignon Blanc. And the wine does not have an oak nose very much at all, maybe a tiny bit, but it's much more just um, very clean. And when he oxidizes it, he really puts that, pushes out the uh, the fruit flavor, the stone fruit, the berry, the apricot, the cherry, the the little bit of um, underripe plum that we might smell in uh, in Sauvignon Blanc, and takes away some, not all, but some of that green note. This wine that I'm drinking has uh, not seen any oak. It's just been done in a stainless steel tank, and it was allowed to sit there for just a few months. So if you don't use oak when you're winemaking. Pretty much you're done once you finish the fermentation and convert all of the sugar to alcohol or uh, ferment to dryness, as we say. Now, this vineyard site that, that my Sauvignon Blanc comes from is um, kind of a rocky soil, rocky slash sandy slash clay-like soil, kind of three different soil types. And it's in the low portion of the Russian River Valley. So this property where the wine is from goes from about sea level up to about 1,200 feet. It's a very steep property, but this is coming from the low areas of that property. So if you can imagine a lot of the dirt and a lot of the great minerals and whatnot that are, that are up above end up getting washed down into and near this vineyard. So it tends to, to get a lot of that mineral. Remember, this is... Is it just me or is Hobie going in and out? I just lost Hobie right now. Colby, I don't Colby? know if you're moving around. You're going in and out. Gabriel, why don't you give your flavor notes? Because we still have Can to get to the now? bread. Now, yeah, oh. now we got you. Yeah, now you know what here. I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do, Anthony? I'm going to call in. I'm not going to w- worry about my video. Does that sound like a good idea? Oh, yeah. yeah I don't have any video. Colby. That yeah, sounds absolutely. great. And then Gabriel uh, can give the notes on this wine um, yes. before you guys yeah. move on to the red. Thank you. Absolutely. So, so the, um, so what Hobie was saying about, um, the, uh, the, the wine that he's drinking, um, actually the one that we're drinking is also, um, <clears throat> close, uh, from a region that uh, is close to the water. So if you, um, analyze uh, what Hobie just said, basically, um, a good Sauvignon Blanc grape is going to grow near the water because that not only gives it that chalky flavor, um, the, the, you know, taste of minerals, um, but also keeps the grape fresh, keeps the grape cool. And uh, that is very important when it's, when it's uh, being crushed, that the grape has, has had a, you know, uh, vin- uh, vine life and a very cool climate to give it. And that's what gives it all those um, grassy, herbaceous notes um, that Hobie was talking about. So if you are sipping on a Sauvignon Blanc or if you ever, uh, if you, after this presentation, you go for a Sauvignon Blanc, you will feel those notes of um, sometimes uh, fruity. Uh, But if it's fruity, it's going to be usually, uh, you know, stone fruit like uh, uh, peaches or apricots and then definitely the grassy notes. 
So what I find about Sauvignon Blancs, uh, the Sauvignon Blanc makes a perfect uh, summer wine because it is so crisp. It is so refreshing. It has a high content of acidity because of the uh, elements from the soil. Usually, like I mentioned, um, and, and Hobie was saying, uh, the, uh, you know, his wine from the close to the Russian River Valley. Um, usually, uh, Sauvignon Blanc gets a lot of the earth elements from, from places close to the water, like seashells and minerals. So um, that, that transfers into the notes of the wine in terms of those mineral and chalky flavors. And then the cool weather uh, through which, uh, throughout the life of the vine uh, or, the, or the fruit in the vine gives it that herbaceous, that um, kind of grassy note and those fruity stone fruit flavors. And um, I, like I said, a high in acidity. So it makes a perfect, uh, perfect uh, summer wine because it's very refreshing, very crisp. And uh, it also, it's, it's, it's very, you know, it's, it's almost on a very, very, it's borderline tar uh, acidity. So, so it definitely, it's, it's a good aperitif. And, you know, it's good to drink uh, before uh, starting a, a long day of eating and drinking because it opens up your appetite. Um, and also, uh, you know, if we want to talk about pairings, like I've always said, I'm not saying this goes to, with that and that goes with that, but definitely try this wine with something with cold foods like seashells, uh, um, like, you know, shrimp cocktail, oysters, um, definitely, definitely very, very refreshing. Um, I think we got Hobie back. You did. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I love your recommendation of shrimp cocktail or, or oysters. You know, the other thing that I really like with this wine is um, anything with goat cheese, a really kind of acidic. Oh oil. yeah. Yes, absolutely. One of my but, bearings that I, that I do with Sauvignon Blanc is I take figs and I cut them in mm -hmm. half and, and stuff them with goat cheese and then wrap them with bacon and throw those under the broiler. And that, that pork from the, the bacon and the salt mixed yes. with the sweetness yeah. of the fig is just, oh, it's so yeah. good. Yeah, and, it gives and, it that aperitif kind of mood. <laughs> no, it does. And, and Gabe, what year is your wine? This is 2014. Thanks for Got asking. Yeah. yeah, so that's, that's so a little newer than mine. So you're going to get a lot yeah. more of that fruit note. What I, we what do. I was just going to say are when I was... We a lot of a lot of, you know, peachy flavors on this one. Yeah. Oh, it's plain time keeper. I want to just, you know, keep you moving. Let's, no, let's it's, go it's, towards it's, the red soon. Yeah, yeah. We promised folks that they'd have their opportunity to answer questions. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you get two wine lovers. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Gabe, what are you drinking? What's your red? Okay, um, I'm just finishing with my white eye. Uh, we are going to be sipping on an um, uncaged love that name <laughs> is that the one i think it is yes <laughs> of course because we're gonna we're gonna top off this white before we move into our red um before i finish up i think i had something else to say about well yeah. if i remember if i if, if it comes up we'll, we'll we'll talk about it but but um I'm, I work, I'm just going to top off this white and then get started with red. Um, I'll say one oh, other quick geez. thing about the white, if you don't mind, Gabe. 
Yes, and absolutely. That is, that is just the, the uh, for me, Sauvignon Blanc that is, that is um, not done in the, in the barrel at all and just done in oak tanks has the most sort of fresh trueness to it. And mm-hmm. because it's only done in the, it's just very vibrant and it really pungent fruit notes and that green, fresh cut grass, a little bit of alfalfa yeah. mixed in there. And oh, a lot yeah. of, the wine I'm drinking now is actually very melony. It's got a lot of cantaloupe and honeydew features and that sort of thing. Yes. The other, the other comment that I would make about Sauvignon Blanc uh, when, it's, when it's not done in oak is that means we can bottle it pretty darn quickly. You know, we don't need to spend a bunch of time um, waiting on, on it to age in barrel. So a lot of wines that are, that are done only in, in barrel or only in that tank, only in stainless steel can be bottled oftentimes six months, as early as four to six months after harvest. Mm-hmm. Pretty remarkable. Yep. Awesome. Now I, I thank you because that gave me time to remember <laughs> what I was going to say is for you sushi lovers, definitely recommend a yes. Sauvignon Blanc for your sushi. Oh my God. It's, you know, it's, it's the best. It's, it's the best for sushi. So I yeah, uh, as I mentioned, uh, we are, as you can hear, one of my favorite sounds in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so that gives a sound, you know, sound. It's, it's like Hobi was saying at the beginning. So what, so, so many senses that go into wine. I love the, the, the sound of a, of a cork, um, popping i love the sound of pouring wine so you know there's so much more to wine than and and to life than just sight so this is this is a great example so as i mentioned uh before i uh i let hobie introduce his wine (laughs) here in miami we are drinking a an uncaged which um we've tried other varietals from the same winery before it's from napa valley um, I think, um, you know, and we'll get more into that in a bit. I think Cabernet Sauvignons from Napa Valley are phenomenal. They're some of my yeah. favorite. And um, just to give a little bit of history, Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, to me, the best Cabernet Sauvignons come either from Bordeaux or from uh, Napa. And um, believe it or not, cabs are... Uh, the actual grape is an offspring of two other grapes. And um, it's uh, actually, uh, one of them is the uh, Sauvignon Blanc and mm-hmm. Cabernet Franc. So hence the name Cabernet Sauvignon. And uh, it is uh, known as a very uh, thick skin grape. And those of you who have joined us in other wine tastings, you know, that um, I've, uh, you know, kind of gone through, and, and also I think Hobie touched on that uh, this past um, Tuesday uh, or Monday, I'm sorry, um, uh, uh, how, how the skin is what gives red wines the color. So yeah. um, having said that, uh, just leaving everyone with those thoughts while I allow Hobie to introduce his wine. Yeah, thank you. So the red wine that I've chosen today is, and I, I, I'm not as exciting as Gabe and Anthony because I opened my wine ahead of time and poured it. So I don't, I'm feeling like, oh man, Sorry. I don't have a cork popping sound here. These guys are stealing the show. Um, no, but I, uh, 
this is a Francis Ford Coppola claret wine. So claret, there's a funny story about claret. Claret means the same thing as matage in French, but it's an English word. And the British decided that they had to have a word that meant the exact same thing as the French word matage because they didn't like the French and they needed their own word. So they came up with claret. And um, claret is any blend of the five grapes that come from five red wine grapes that come from Bordeaux, France, originally. One of those is Cabernet Sauvignon. One is Cabernet Franc. The others are Merlot, Petit Verdot, and Malbec. Mm-hmm. This wine and, and claret is any blend, a blend of any number or all of those five grapes. So the wine that I'm drinking is 85% approximately Cabernet Sauvignon and a mix mash of 15% of the other four great uh, Bordeaux red varietals. And the reason it is classified as a Cabernet Sauvignon is because it's about 80 to 85% Cab. And mm-hmm. in the United States, to be classified as Cabernet Sauvignon, you only need to be, set, or any specific varietal, you only need to contain 75% or greater of that varietal. So winemakers actually have a lot of fun here in the United States, blending and playing with adding you know, little bits, little different amounts of, of unique varietals, which I think is very cool and creates for a really fun um, wine experience. And that's what we'll be kind of talking about and touching on um, as we go through, as we go through this. So unlike Sauvignon Blanc, Cabernet Sauvignon, again, based on what, what Gabe told us, it's a cross between Sauvignon Blanc and Cab Franc. So we get that, that Sauvignon in the name and the Cabernet from the Cabernet Franc. This is a red varietal. So this is going to be made by picking the grapes, crushing them, removing all the stems, and then taking the whole mass of skins and seeds and juice, adding it usually to an open top fermenter, fermenter made of stainless steel or otherwise, and then allowed to ferment. So we add the yeast, pitch the yeast, and let the sugars get eaten up by the yeast. And when that happens, we produce alcohol that extracts the red pigment. So we get that red color forming in the wine. Now, the other thing that we experience in red wine is a lot more tannins, typically. Tannins are things that actually make our mouths dry. And it's a perception of dryness. It's not actual dryness. Tannic acid is the majority of what makes up tannins. And it is a little molecule that basically denatures the little proteins on your tongue. And that's what you feel is those little proteins falling out, amino acids falling out of solution, right, on your tongue. And it creates that perception of dryness, which I think is really cool and really fun. Um, Now, one of the things with red wine is that we want to, we typically ferment it. Once the fermentation is done, completed, or fermented until dryness. In wine, we use the term dry to mean no sugar uh, or no leftover sugar. And then that... um, that wine that that is now wine because we fermented all the all the sugar into alcohol is pressed and the juice is put into barrels or big tanks with oak chips in them. So when I nose this wine, I smell a ton of wood in a just the most beautiful way. Also get a lot of really bright berry notes, some blueberry, some a um, uh, little bit of cassis or black licorice, star anise a lot of blackberry and, and also um, 
a lot of leather, really big, bold leather notes, like the, the leather inside your grandfather's trunk. And that is coming <laughs> from very small molecules called trace molecules. Pardon my class. I was just cheersing myself there on that <laughs> accidentally. And uh, so cheers to Hobie. Hey, cheers to Hobie. Anyway, something, I don't know. Um, cheers. cheers to you all. I'll just say cheers to you all. But, um, you know, the, the flavors and, and in white and red wine, but they're, I think, a little more concentrated oh, and pronounced in red wine, come from what we call trace natural products or trace molecules, which are in the wines. Anything from terpenes and terpenoids to anthrocyanins to all these yummy things that we don't taste. Interestingly, when you eat a Cabernet Sauvignon berry in the vineyard, it just tastes very sweet. And kind of boring, frankly, if you chomp down on the seeds, you get overwhelmed with tannins. But other than that, they're, they're not all that exciting. And then we add yeast to them and we add our great winemaking technique and we transform the very humble grape into beautifully complex wines like the ones before us here. And uh, that's because we're releasing all these flavor molecules that were trapped up inside um, the little cages of, of sugar. Uh, so when we break down those sugars, we also allow these things to dissolve into the glass. I'm going to show you a quick party trick before I hand it over to Gabe. Um, I want you to take your glass in the hand that you feel most comfortable swirling with. Usually it's the same hand you use your cane with and place your other hand over the top of the glass. So you're completely covering it. Well, first, before you do that, smell the wine. I got a lot of berries. I get all the notes that I described, even a little bit of coffee. Now take your other hand that you're not swirling with and place it on top of the glass so you completely cover it. And swirl, 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 swirl with your hand on top. You can hear me swirling, right? I'm swirling in the air, but now I'm swirling on the tabletop. Swirl, 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 swirl. I'm going to lift my hand off and tell you, wow, the aroma is totally concentrated. I smell a lot more baking spice, a lot more fig, a lot more black cherry, just really incredible fruit flavors that I... And, and spice flavors that I absolutely love. Dave, do you want to tell us a little bit about your wine? Yes, um, I'm, I'm a big proponent of swirling when it comes to reds, especially cabs. Um, so like um, Hobie was saying, the um, Cabernet Sauvignon is a very, very tannic um, wine. And... Uh, you know, uh, I usually tell people to, you know, to, just to give them an idea of what tannic or tans are, is uh, basically if you steep a um, a black tea for too long, and and then you drink it, it's like it's almost like a sensation of a film forming around your tongue and your, uh, you know, your all all your palate, your inner mouth, so. And that's why cabs are uh, so so popular. Not not to say that they must go with this type of food or that type of food, but that's why they're so popular. And I cannot have a steak, and Anthony can attest to that. I cannot have a steak without having a either Cabernet Sauvignon or Malbec glass uh, or a couple of glasses or bottle maybe <laughs> because. Here, here. Um, <laughs> yeah, because the, the those tannins, what they do is that they kind of neutralize the fat in a steak, and they and they make every mouthful of uh, steak taste identical. So the so the cab is that that force that is holding 
the flavor of your meal together and making it and it's making it very very true to to the origin it, it's making it it's it, it's to me cab is a powerful wine and hence you know you know hence everything that can be conceived as powerful or perceived as powerful um you either hate it or love it i love it um our cab as i swirl it has a lot of um almost plum notes and i would say a little bit of maybe current uh but definitely definitely what i love about a good cab especially you will get this in a little bit more mature cabs maybe five to ten years or more and uh It is, 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 I love this. It's, it's the oaky smell, that nose of oak. Um, and, and, and that's a personal preference. Uh, you don't have to like it, but to me, that smoky, oaky taste just invites me to take something else. So if I'm drinking a cab, it's for sure that I cannot have it by itself. That's why, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Um, I had to go into the fridge and get something very fatty. Uh, one of my favorite foods and one of my favorite compliments for wine, which is, uh, and I'm actually getting a piece right now, a slice right now, is uh, prosciutto di Parma. Um, oh, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so the fattiness of the prosciutto is... Um, It's just, um, and also goes so well. And once I, oh my God, I invite you to try something fatty, whether it be steak, a uh, lamb chop, um, slice of prosciutto, Ugh. Anthony's yelling pork over there. <laughs> you know what else I think is really good with, with cab and this is going to sound a little weird, Gabe, is, uh, pate, liver pate. Oh my God. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Liver, you know, fatty. <laughs> Grief. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. No, that's, that's so. amazing. That's what I love about Italy, you know, is uh, we have some clients over there and, and, and drinking the slightly more acidic red wines with really good fatty foods. Fatty charcuterie is just so delicious. Yes, it is. That's uh, amazing. It is. Yeah. Yeah. The, the taste that it, that it enhances the flavor of all the fattiness and in, in this case of the prosciutto that I'm, that I'm having, it's, it's, it is amazing. Anthony, I hope you get some prosciutto as well. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So, you know, one of the things for me that's really fun, I want to walk you through something. We talked a little bit on Tuesday about how wine, especially red wine, Um, changes even once it's in the glass. We say grape to glass. Okay, it's in the glass. Now it's done. It's not actually done. So anyone who's sipping along with us who has a, a red wine of any type in the glass, I, preferably something like a Cab or a Syrah or any of the other Bordeaux grapes, I wanted to join you to follow along with me. But I want you to, I'm going to show you another little trick. I want you to take a sip of wine and this time just swish it around your mouth like mouthwash, just like you're washing your mouth out with mouthwash in the morning. And then swallow it. So you feel a little bit of tannin there, right? A little bit. Okay. I'm about ready to explode those tannins for you. What I want you to do on your next sip is take a sip of the wine. 
do exactly what you did before and swish it around like mouthwash. But this time, tilt your head forward and of course, keeping your lips closed so you don't lose any wine, breathe some air subtly through the wine. So let's do this here. Mm. And feel the tannins just explode on your palate. Now would be the perfect time, Dave, to take another bite of prosciutto. Um, yeah, I just did. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that amazing? You can feel the tannins. And then like, the last little part of this that I know people don't often do that I think is so important. Well, this is nice. And this is, from a chemist, this is from a chemistry standpoint. I like to chew on my wine. So literally take mm -hmm. a sip, swish yes. it around like mouthwash, breathe some air through it, and then tilt your head back, uh, your chin back up, and literally move your jaw up and down as if you're chewing. What I did want to add to what Hobie just said is one thing that I always tell people, sometimes people look at me weird and um, ask me why I'm doing that. Um, and I invite people to do that and to not feel ashamed of doing it. When I am trying a wine for the first time, and sometimes even throughout the entire bottle, and I want you to, I want to invite you to pay attention to what I'm going to do. The way I do it is instead of tilting the glass towards my mouth, I just tilt it slightly at a, at a maybe less than 45 degree angle, maybe the 30 something degree angle. And then once the, the, the wine touches my lips, I do this. And I am sucking on the wine. I am, you know, acting as a, my mouth is acting as a vacuum because I am controlling. Folks, I thought he was nuts when he first made me do this. <laughs> but I no longer think so. I am controlling the, the flavors. Um, not only yeah, really the flavors, you know, the fla controlling the flavors is a consequence. What I'm actually controlling is the, the, the trajectory that the wine follows from the tip of my tongue, you know, and down into my system. Because that way, you know, our, our taste buds are divided in our tongue and, and, and we get so many different notes. And if we just gulp the wine, if the, the wine just bypasses a single part of our tongue, it just, we, we, we miss out on so many things. Because Abe, from a layman's perspective, can I get, can I offer this out to to the the listeners today? Sure. Take a nice sip, take a gulp, and and swish it around your mouth for a second and swallow, and then do what Gabe just you know, and then wait a moment, and then do what Gabe just said. Pull it along your tongue by by breathing it in, by sucking yeah. it in. I, I know we're probably not supposed to say suck it in on C on ACB media, but <laughs> but by sucking it in you will experience complete different flavorings in, in your mouth and you understand what, what all the body of the wine is. So basically, basically, I'm sorry, Hobie. I just want to say that basically this tip that I'm giving you is probably going to be more socially or less socially awkward. I love doing what Hobie said about, you know, swishing it like if it was a uh, mouthwash. But obviously, at that point, yes, you probably wouldn't want to do it. That's my relationship with wine, and no one better mess with that because <laughs> that's my relationship with wine. But you in any case, 
the 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 sucking part of the wine kind of like almost gives you like a very like an like an abbreviated version of the technique that Hobie what had you do a couple of minutes ago. Go ahead, Hobie. I'm sorry. Totally, and, and you know, no, it's it's great. And you know what I would what I would assimilate that to, Dave. What you're doing really is you're you're doing a technique called aerosolizing. So you're you're literally expanding the wine from a very small area in the glass by by sort of inhaling it in a way into your mouth and not letting it go into your lungs, of course you're expanding it into your mouth cavity so quickly. It's almost the difference between water. Like if you turn the water on, what I mm -hmm. notice when I'm in certain, certain, you know, new places, I notice a great difference in smell in the tap water. Okay. But I, oh, don't, me too. I, do that but a I lot. don't notice it when I turn the water on to wash my hands as much. When I notice it is when I've got the hot shower going and all yep. this steam buildup, That's when you say, wow, this water really has a different smell than what I'm used to. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what we're doing here. We're expanding the space. We're, we're pulling it in quickly. We're doing whatever we can to really create that, that flavor in our, you know, on our palate. And, uh, and imagine I, that I that expansion just, is happening in your palate, like Hobie just said. You got it. All right, boys, are you ready for questions? We I'm are ready, ready and eager you know for, questions. for questions. Okay. Hey. By the way, Anthony, Didn't I also want to yes. ask yes, um, yes. who's, who's taking hands. I'm available yes. until 7 convention time. I'll okay. stay late. Awesome. Same so here. we're going to have to go off ACB Media in 15 minutes, so we'll get as many questions as we can in before then, and we'll stay for a few minutes after to get whatever's remaining. Jeanette, who's up first? <clears throat> Rebecca, you can unmute. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Rebecca. I hear your glass blinking, so. Oh, no. Are you, t Roberta, maybe? E yes, yes, yes. Sorry. Oh, oh yes. okay. Um, you spoke earlier about airing, uh, putting the wine in the refrigerator for 10 minutes or bringing it out for 10 minutes, depending on where it started. You're with yes. me? Yes. Is that open or after it's been opened? For me, that's before it's been opened, but, but you can also do it after it's been opened. Um, yeah. I don't like to drink my whites. The if you think about it, uh, Roberta, the cooler you drink a wine, the less you can taste. So I don't like to drink my whites when they're perfect out, you know, just directly out of the fridge. And I don't like to okay. drink my reds when they're warm, like the temperature of a Miami or Petaluma home. That's, that ends up being way too warm. So we tend to cool it down a little bit. And so it's, it's that perfect Goldilocks balance. So we're talking mm -hmm. cellar temperature, like the temperature it. of a wine cellar. Okay, great. Yeah, Thank you. Absolutely, Roberta. You got Appreciate it. Thank it. you. <laughs> yep. All right. All right. Eight one eight six one four. You can unmute. All right. She's got it. I won't have to ask anymore. You go, girl. Uh, is mm -hmm. that me? Okay. That's you. Uh, from California. Um, I would love to host. Um, I'm blind. I'd love to host a blind tasting uh, for some, uh, another couple of sighted couples. Um, is there a place where you would go with suggestions of what uh, wines to buy? Um, and and would, how to, at like a um, kind of a soiree, little dinner thing? You, you can reach out to me at hobiewedler.com. There's a big contact button there. And I'm sure Gabe can be contacted many ways as well. 
I'd love to help you design that blind tasting and talk about the wines you can feature. Oh, absolutely. But if, absolutely. if you want to make an experience out of it, um, we, oh, we love the winery Cooper's Hawk, the Cooper's Hawk restaurant and winery. And um, they offer tastings at a very, very reasonable price. And you can go They're through amazing. the gamut of wines with them and get yeah. a real good idea how to do a tasting before inviting your friends and family over. And by the way, if you're at Cooper's Hawk, you got to stay for dinner. Yes, absolutely. Oh my God, yes. Thank you, Hobie. Um, and now that Hobie and Anthony have mentioned Cooper's Hawk, uh, Anthony and I are not only members of Cooper's Hawk, but we have uh, been in contact with them. So if you're going to be in Omaha in 2022, we have a couple of uh, wine sessions in collaboration with Cooper's Hawk. So you folks are in for a treat. Just, um, you know, file that in your <laughs> in your mind and your agendas that we're going to be uh, partnering with Cooper's Hawk in 2022. Kamakula, I'm probably saying that wrong from Hawaii. You can unmute. Yes, Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's Kamakula. But if you can't say it right, I usually go by Hunter. Aloha, Hunter. And I was wondering, do you do any roasting with wines? Any what? I'm sorry, roasting. Yes. Like like pot roasting and like um what they do with coffee. Oh no. yeah, no. good question. Yeah, go coffee. ahead. Toby. So I'm actually a coffee nerd as well. I've done a ton of work in the sensory space in coffee, and I'll tell you the biggest difference, Hunter. It's a really good question. Um, coffee, coffee beans, when they're green or when they're fresh and ready to be roasted are already nice and dry, right? They're really, mm -hmm. really dry. So, so coffee grows on a tree as a cherry, a lot like a grape. Each cherry has two seeds in it. And those are, those become two coffee beans. But what we do is we get rid of all that, all that fruit mass around those seeds. So when we roast it, we're just roasting the straight up seeds, Right. And with grapes, they're so wet that if we tried to roast them like we do with coffee, there wouldn't really be much left. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I do a lot of marinating with wine, if that, if that will help you out at all. <laughs> Surely you can unmute. You already are on me, right. probably. Hi. Hi. I have loved these sessions. They are fantastic. And Anthony, your session prior to this one was amazing. Thank um, you. I had a question in regards to cork versus synthetic cork versus cap. And then also, I have three questions. The other one is, um, should, after you purchase the bottle, should it be laying on its side? Does it matter if it's upright? And then my last question is, I've had situations where I've found a really great wine, like in a, had it in a restaurant, but then couldn't find it afterwards. So, for example, I had this Chilean Chardonnay called Oveja Negra. And then um, from South Africa, it was a cab called Big Flower. And then I, I'm just lost later in how do I find that bottle? Um I've tried to go to some of the bigger wine stores and they don't have it in stock, that type of thing. ABC Wines and Spirits definitely has big flower. I love that one. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and also Total Wine or what I like to call the, uh, the adult, the uh, Disney World for adults is, uh, 
it's, it's also very, right. you know, that you might as well. Um, I, I, I'm going to just really quickly and then Hobie, I'll let you. Um, some wines do benefit from the cork. Some don't. And um, I like the wineries that actually use the actual real cork, not the plastic one, because I do feel that if a wine um, does deserve a cork, it does deserve a real cork. Because the cork plays an important role in the aging of the wine, especially the cork is, is the cork comes into play, especially if you're planning to age that wine. And that's why uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, which is one of the you know wines that we were drinking tonight, um, it, it's, it's perfect for aging because it's a very structured wine. It's a full body wine and it allows for it to age beautifully. Not all wines are intended to be to age. Uh, some wines are intended to be, you know, drunk, uh, definitely uh, young. Yeah. So, so, so the cork, to me, the cork comes into play when it's about um, aging the wine and preserving it for long periods of time. And, and definitely that cork will make the difference in your wine as it's aging. Yeah, I'll, I'll comment briefly on this. Um, I think the screw cap is, a, is an amazing tool because it doesn't let that much oxygen in. They've created some, mm -hmm. just, just enough oxygen in. Um, so I would say cork is my favorite technique. Screw cap is my second favorite closure technique. And synthetic cork is my least favorite because it doesn't let anything I in. I agree and with it's you. Hard. It messes up your wine opener because you're, you know, it's plastic and there's friction in your wine. The, the device breaks. is kind of funny. The, the thing on a wine opener that you drill down into the cork is called the worm. The worm often melts and, yeah. uh, or the cork melts on the worm. And that's, that's just hard to get off. I'll say the one issue with cork, and this is a big issue is the issue of corked wines. That's when the cork has a little bit of mold in it and it, it uh, builds up a compound called trichloroanisole, better known as TCA. And that can, if the cork is infected with TCA, it'll, it'll affect the whole bottle and it'll smell corked, which is a very distinctive and unpleasant smell. Mm -hmm. You'll um, know it when you it, smell it. Yeah. Yeah. It smells like junior high locker room is what I describe <laughs> it as. <laughs> I'm going to um, put a pause and for a moment. And it's not TCA, folks. I mean, it's not TCH, folks. It's TCA. <laughs> yeah. You do I'm not have any more hands raised right now? All right. Well, that's Wait, perfect. I didn't, Every, I didn't everybody said, listening. If, go ahead, Gabe. You said it's not TCA. It's TCA? No, I said it's not TCH. It's TCA. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So yeah, if you and, and enjoy... The other thing that I would... I just want to say one more quick thing, which is that um, about the, the aging wine, wines prefer to be on their side or upside down. They, they do. don't like to be vertical very much because especially if the bottle has the little dip in the, in the bottom, which is called mm -hmm. the punt, uh, you, you can build up a lot of uh, sediment there, which isn't necessarily yeah. good. Yeah. So I wanted to invite everybody listening, if you've enjoyed this presentation or any of the wine presentations or any of the BPI presentations, please go to the Facebook, the ACB Facebook group and um, leave, you know, leave a post letting, letting everybody know how much you enjoyed it. It will help us next year determine what programming um, that we should look at again. 
And maybe we'll do some in between now and next year's convention. Yeah. But Hobie and Gabe, if um, you could explain for a minute why, if you're not going to finish a bottle of wine when you open it, why it's really, really good to get one of those um, one of those pumps that suck the air out so you mm-hmm. can save it for the next meal or, or two nights from now. I don't own any one of those pumps because I don't believe in not finishing a bottle. <laughs> yeah. I, am say the exact same thing. I am sorry but apparently you're, you're you come to the wrong place for that kind of advice <laughs> I, so I, I was, okay I was, a, I, I was talking to someone at one of my just a quick funny story I was talking to someone at one of my tastings and she asked me do you you know do you know a good way of, of, of sealing wine you know after you open it and I said you're telling me you open a bottle and you don't finish it she looks right at me and said, honey, I'm talking about the third bottle. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought that was great. I'll, I'll uh, comment very briefly, Gabe, because I imagine you have a, you have a good comment here. Um, yeah, I, go ahead. It's important to block the oxygen because your wine, yes. if it sits open, will oxidize. So they make a lot of gimmicky things for this. Um, they make vacuum pumps that you can put in there and suck the oxygen mm-hmm. out. They make little weird stopper things you can stick in the top of the bottle. Yep. Oh, it's supposed to preserve it. I do one thing. I cover my bottle with saran wrap and I call it a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really? So no. um, good for you. Do you yes, have ma'am. like a website that people can go to, to to join or to find out what BPI does? Absolutely. It's blindlgbtpride.org. And I'm going to repeat that. It is blindlgbtpride.org. And, and if somebody to act- wanted to join, could they do that on the website? And how much Absolutely. is the they Sorry. Can join, <laughs> they, they can join BPI. Uh, it is a 15, that's one $5 uh, membership per year. If you're a regular and member, if you're a student, it's $10. And if you're feeling generous, uh, it's oh, $200 generous. for a lifetime <laughs> membership. And... Um, Definitely, we welcome allies. You do not have to be part of the LGBTQ community a lot. Uh, I would say more than uh, about 50% of our members are allies. Um, and uh, thank you for those questions because definitely uh, that's, that's a good place you can uh, reach you us. You were probably uh, going to say that anyways, but I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you for saying that. And I, and I have to, just going back to wine, I have to echo Hobie's um, <laughs> words. Um, you know, we have the 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 pump to suck out the oxygen and put in the stomper. But I had the pump. How many, I brought it, and we've never ask Anthony ever how many times it. we have used it. Thank you. We've never used it because <laughs> e- even if we're up to the fourth, fifth bottle, I just say, "Baby, let's just save it for cooking." Hobie, <laughs> <laughs> is there any sold on Amazon? Is there anywhere that you want to um, tell folks to come look for either you or a resource that you enjoy? And Danette, we'll do one last look at hands. Okay. Go ahead, okay. uh, Hobie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I am, I'm doing a lot of, a lot of stuff in the food and beverage industry. I'm launching a spice company, a spice brand at the end of this month, uh, which is very soon. Look me up now at HobieWedler.com. That'll very soon be the <coughs> Hobie's Collective at uh, hobie.com h-o-b-y.com and uh would love to would love to hang with you all and get to know you don't be a stranger absolutely every hey, time I i'm hear not your supposed name- to let you give out the, your email address i'm sorry 
Not on the web. No, no, no. That's his professional. That's his professional email. That's his. Okay. Excuse me. Yeah. Okay, and it's I'm not sorry. an email address. Okay. Actually, at all, it's a no, website. No, e- email address is fine. It's just right. phone numbers, personal stuff that is not okay. allowed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. As long as it's professional. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> it's the end of convention. We're, we all have our brains fried. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> Today I was at work and I couldn't possibly think of a word that I needed to type into an email. <laughs> You know, every time I hear your name, Hobie, there was a, an association when I was still in high school. I don't know if it still exists, but it was called the Hugh O'Brien Foundation. Of course. And they would pick two persons from every state every year and, and you know, bring them into Washington, D.C. to spend a week on Capitol Hill. And um, I was one of, uh, nine, oh God, I'm going to date myself here, but I was one of 1993's Hobie recipients. So every time that I hear your name, awesome. it brings me back to that. <laughs> wow. you know, so I, I bought Hobie.com from the Hugh O'Brien Foundation. I'm sorry, say that again. I bought Hobie.com from a former leader of the Hugh O'Brien Foundation. Wow. wow. Mm-hmm. And I wow, still get some minute. emails from Hugh O'Brien people and I have to say, hey, I'm a different Hobie, but here you go. <laughs> So I want to take this opportunity to thank um, Dr. Hobie, not Hugh O'Brien, Weidler. Um, Of course, you know, my partner in crime, my partner in life, my partner in everything good, Mr. Gabriel Lopez Cafati. Good and bad, baby. Oh, yeah. Screaming, (laughs) uh, not screaming, excuse me, this is not a horror film. Screaming (laughs) is um, one of our most valued BPI members, Mr. Byron Lee, who we will be hearing from later this evening in During the Way He Looks, um, and Jeanette Dixon. Jeanette, um, you are an awesome, awesome, awesome host. I can't wait to write a note to Cindy about tonight. Oh, thank um, you. If <laughs> you want to contact any of our presenters throughout the whole convention, all you have to do is hit membership at blindlgbtpride.org, and I will forward the appropriate emails to the appropriate personages. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for supporting blindlgbtpride.org. Um, and that's where you can join and find out all kinds of information yes. about us. We love and our I, allies and happy, happy 60th ACB convention. And Amen. I just want to say that it is no coincidence that we got the cream of the crop during this almost last session of convention, Hobie Wedler. Um, Anthony Corona, Donette Dixon, Byron Lee, myself, and all of you who raised your glasses. And even if you yes. didn't raise a glass, just How about water? cheered with us. Absolutely. Water is my favorite. <laughs> Trust me. Watch. Oh. If I'm not drinking wine, I'm drinking water. Okay. Anthony can okay. tell you, I, so do not, and, I do not drink, drink soda. Juice. He doesn't I do not juice. drink soda. He doesn't I do, do not milk. Anything. <laughs> I'm the same Ex- way, Gabe. I don't except drink for wine, wine or water. Or what? Uh, there you go. <laughs> okay. say, fine with me because I always have my milk untouched and my apple juice untouched. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and I just want to thank I want to thank everybody myself and say that if you're not raising a glass in in real time, just think of it virtually by hitting Alt Y. That'll raise a glass too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, that is good, Hobie. Thank, thank, thank you, y'all Hobie. very much. It's and been great is, to partner with you, Hobie. I, I just want to say right, one Byron. quick thing, which oh. is. This and is my first ever. This is my first ever opportunity to be with with Blind Pride International. I am a proud member of the LGBT community, 
and you guys won't be able to get rid of me. So thank you for the invitation. Well, hopefully you'll be with us in Omaha. You'll be with us in Omaha. Absolutely.